John Beecham, CEO of Torac Capital Partners, uh, joining me for another episode. I couldn't couldn't have you come into the office and just do one episode, so I'm going <laughs> to steal more of your time and take another episode. You're too kind. Uh, thank you for joining again. Yeah, thanks, thanks a lot, Dalton. Super happy to be here. It's uh, great great to be in Greenville, and it's been a long time and uh, number one here. Yeah, so uh, as we look at this week's episode, last week we talked a lot about the lender side of the fence, what's going on with lenders, capital providers, uh, and really the formation of uh, a lot of this space, which as you noted is really 10 years old, really in its, its current form. And if you look at it from an institutional standpoint, uh, you could argue that it's you know a smaller time frame than that. So still a relatively young space, but uh, it has grown incredibly in those, you know, depending on how you shake it, seven to 10 years. Uh, and it's here to stay, which is a good, exciting thing. And something that, you know, I know you, John Warren and John Thompson, our co-founders, whenever y'all were, you know, fighting the fight in the mid 20 teens, you had to convince people that this is, this yep. is an industry that is lasting. This is not a trade, right? Absolutely. It took, it took a while actually to convince investors in the markets that, uh, this is an asset class, just like residential lending, just like commercial lending. Uh, we sort of fit in the middle a little bit. Uh, we, as an industry, we're like, do we are we really residential? Are we really commercial? We're sort of both. I mean, we do business purpose loans mostly on residential properties, so it depends on your perspective and how you think about it. But it's uh, the industry's come a long way. I mean, now we're accepted as a real asset class. Um, we are an active securization market for asset class. There's many uh, competitors, many institutionally owned, like Lima One uh, lenders in the space, and so it's definitely come a long way and become a real really accepted as a class, which is great. Yeah, uh, that's been fun in my seven and a half years of being in the space um, to be able to ride the uptick and I'm getting a little bit of a dip and going through that. Uh, but it's it's all good. Like the, the learning in this space, being in it throughout all of this growth has just been incredible. And I know if I, you know, not a lot of spaces that I could have gotten into uh, to see this and so much professional growth behind it. So it's been, it's been good and fun. Uh, let's talk about some things from a, a, you know, a market standpoint and we'll, we'll have some broad Q and a, and I want to touch on a couple of specific markets and, um, let's start with, I'll say home price appreciation, but that's probably not the right term to use right now. So correct me, uh, and talk to me about home prices right now. Uh, they are in, you know, really, I think most everywhere, probably a flat or declining yep. environment. So what's what's causing that? I imagine a big part of it is the fact that there has been ridiculous home price appreciation over the last couple of years. Uh, if you in January or no, really March 2020, when the world stopped, if you would have said, hey, just wait a couple months and then home prices are going to skyrocket. Yep. Uh, yeah, no one thought that. <laughs> so, so, so we we know the story of uh, the up, 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 and you don't have to be in this space to know that. It's I think everyone knows that home prices have been up. It's been such a headline grabber, uh, starting to come down uh, sure. in some areas much more so than others. So, talk to me about what what's making some of the markets that are not coming down as precipitously. What's making those more stable markets? Uh, and, you know, what are some of the factors that you see leading to you know, ones that point to maybe more of a drop off the cliff than others? Sure. Um, well, when I think about home prices, I think about three main drivers of housing prices in our country, frankly, in any country. Um, 
you know, number one, I'll start with a good one and then we'll work our ways to the not so good ones. But the good one is um, supply and demand. I mean, you have a reality, it's a market, it's like any other market. You have a certain number of people, you have population growth, uh, you have a need for new housing. Um, and so you have a number of buyers in a particular market, number of sellers, and, and there's going to be a clearing price that's, that's brought to bear in the market. Um, what we're seeing in our country is that we're massively underinvested in our housing stock for well over a decade since the financial crisis. Uh, ground up construction lending is very limited historically in this country. Um, it's very hard to find new land. We have a lot of zoning rules and various barriers to actually building new housing. Um, so that supply of housing hasn't caught up with the uh, you know, uh, population growth over the past decade. So we have just a lack of housing. Um, that's not in every market, but that's in many markets across the country. And so that definitely is a positive. It's one real bright light in holding up housing prices. I would say what's happened today is even more even frankly more of an almost artificial constraint on housing prices, because I'll tell you my, my home mortgage, I got at two and a half percent, uh, you know, year in the beginning of last year. Um, obviously that's not available today. Um, it's 30 year fixed rate mortgage. Um, sort of looks crazy today, but it also means that I'm not alone. Many people have done that. And so it makes it really hard to go move out of your house and go buy another house if your new mortgage is going to be 7%, which is probably the average rate today. Mm-hmm. Um, the amount of, you know, you're going from that 2.5% mortgage to a 7% mortgage, you're paying, I think it's something like 40, 45% more actual payment every single month to go make that mortgage payment. And that means that a lot of houses are just unaffordable and it also means a lot of people aren't going to sell their house. So that also exacerbates the lack of supply issue because a lot of people just aren't going to move right now. Um, that also means the same people aren't moving, also aren't buyers, um, and so that's uh, that's just it's lack, lack lack of transaction volume. So I think that's a really positive factor that's holding up, uh, you know, holding up housing prices. There's two two really bad ones. Number one we just mentioned, you know, obviously rates are are high, um, probably seven percent average mortgage rate uh, in the country. On a, I'm, I'm talking not a, a business purpose loan, but on just a home loan for a normal human being. Right. Uh, that means you have to pay forty percent more payment. Than you would have, you know, a year ago uh, means you can't afford as much house. So that's definitely a big negative. Um, you know, people just can't afford to pay the mortgage. You can't afford to pay as much as they could have uh, a year ago, just because they don't make that much income. Exacerbate that with inflation, um, and inflation has definitely, you know, made it harder for people. To even, you know, first you're going to buy food before you sort of buy a bigger house, right? So, you know, the cost of everyday living, uh, cost of energy, cost of gas, you know, all the things we know about have gotten significantly more expensive. So it's harder for people to have disposable income to be able to afford that house. You have both of those issues. Um, and I guess the third thing that's um, uh, that's, a, that's a pretty big deal, um, I think, is you have um, uh, just, uh, you know, I'm trying to make sure, like, you have three this one. So Spider-Man, oh, hey. And the third thing that's really a big deal right now is really just the employment uh, situation in our country. So we are at peak employment right now, which is kind of weird because we feel like we're going and we're in this pretty scary economic period. But the unemployment rate is extremely low. Pretty much everyone who wants a job can get a job right now in the country. Um, it means people feel pretty good about their employment prospects. You know, the Federal Reserve is increasing rates. Part of that is to reduce, frankly, reduce employment in the country, uh, reduce the uh, amount of people working. Um, that's going to cause uh, people to be less confident as we go forward in 2023 about their own employment prospects, probably higher unemployment rates, probably less wage growth than we've seen in the past. 
all those things, while now is good, are likely to get worse as you think through through 2023. They're going to make it more difficult. So I think when you think the balance of all these three things, you got two really tough issues. You got one that's pretty good, but I think the two tough ones are definitely going to outweigh the one that's good. And we're going to see home price declines over the course of next year. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned supply because in my mind, anytime I think about the health of housing, that's a silver lining that I hold on to because building, you know, overbuilding leading up to the 0708 crash and then it just fell off the edge and never came back to even remotely appropriate levels. Uh, then you had COVID, which just halted any building, um, permitting, everything for, you know, I think in most jurisdictions, at least six months. You just have lockdowns, nothing going on, some major markets much longer. Uh, so in a way, that supply issue, yeah, it's, it's not helpful from an affordability standpoint, but you know, you could argue that it's keeping uh, home prices from just being a rock in a pond. Uh, so a little bit of a silver lining there for what it's worth. Yeah, and that's you know, listen, we're not making more land in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously, duh. Um, and we're not generally uh, liberated. A couple states are exceptions. California is a great, great example, but. Our zoning laws are pretty restrictive generally across the country. And so it's hard to build more housing. So that's not going to change anything. Yeah. Uh, a couple of markets that have caught my eye from a headline standpoint, uh, Boise, Idaho, that's one of the markets. And I'm going to, uh, if I had to attach a word to the Boise market from a number standpoint, it would be odd. Uh, how, how would you respond? to my attachment of that word to the Boise, Idaho housing market, knowing that it's a gorgeous area. Uh, absolutely love it. One of my colleagues here lives out there and it is beautiful, but from a number standpoint, it's odd and I can't figure it out. Uh, I'm not sure I have the answer to that question. It's, I, I was in Boise actually a few years ago. It's a beautiful city, great. Um, you drive outside of Boise and there's endless emptiness. I mean, not far outside the city, it goes empty for a long time. So it's not like there's a lack of land in that area, which is normally what causes housing prices to really get out of whack. Um, I'm not sure I know exactly what's going on in Boise, but it's definitely when we look at markets that are uh, troubled, higher risk, I mean, that really, for us, is right at the end of the spectrum of the highest risk market in the country. Um, there's others, I mean, uh, Las Vegas, uh, Phoenix, Nashville, um, other cities right now that seem uh, you know, def- definitely troubled and probably going to have more uh, declines than, than other places in the country. They're also, those tend to be the places where the runoff has been higher as well. So um, you see the Northeast, I think, is actually relatively stronger um, than a lot of other areas of the country. We haven't seen as much runoff there um, during the last few years. It's been good, but not like the rest of the country. Um, and so probably uh, less the fall there as well. So we feel like that's probably a little more stable. Some of these other markets uh, probably a little more risky. Yeah, from an owner standpoint, it seems like the... Again, going to a little bit of, a, of the reading of the tea leaves, but it seems that you know, the pullback in home values uh, is still going to be uh, less than the last 24 months of runoff that we had. So it seems like most markets are going to have values as we sit at any point over the next few months that you know, are, are going to be higher than what they would have been if you would have had normal home price appreciation. Is that fair? I think that's probably true. I mean, you should have a normal, I mean, it's not like we don't have people in the country who are working and the employment situation is good. So the underlying reality of home, the home dynamics are, are 
good. From that standpoint, um, it's it's a rate issue. So it really is going to depend a lot around you know, how long these rates stay high, uh, how long it takes to get to you know, some sort of different level. Um, but I think uh, I think it's definitely going to be a you know some declines, but probably not in below 2019 levels. Fair, fair. <clears throat> Excuse me. So. Looking, you know, put yourself in the shoes of an operator in the space, an operator, just a real estate investor um, who has access to capital in the current period. Uh, you know, if you're, you know, pick your shop up and go anywhere, invest anywhere with you know, seemingly unlimited capital, what verticals are you getting into? You're looking at rental, multifamily, rehab, new construction. Uh, so from a product standpoint, you know, what do you think is most attractive right now? Uh, and then from a market standpoint, you know, what markets are on the, the other end of uh, safety and security? Well, I, I think generally all real estate right now is just like frankly, a lot of the asset investment opportunities across the entire economy. Uh, it's, it's definitely a riskier point than it has been in a long time. So I think almost all opportunities are less good than it would have been a year or two years ago. Um, that being said, uh, when you think about risk profile, uh, ground construction is always higher. Um, so that's you know, one in the spectrum of tends to be longer time to get the project done, you know, more cost failure, variability in that, probably a little less certainty as to what the demand is going to be at the end uh, because you have a longer time before when you start digging to when you actually sell the property. Um, so that's definitely in the riskier end of the spectrum. Um, you know, short-term uh, flips, uh, you really have to be really careful about underwriting that deal to today's prices, not last year's prices, and also incorporate some sort of housing price decline into your models. So you're not assuming that you're going to sell for whatever today's price is. You're thinking ahead and thinking, okay, it's going to take me a year to get done. You know, I need to go sell it after a year. Um, you also got to think about inflation and cost inflation and wage inflation. And today's prices are not going to be the same as the price you paid last year to get your roof done. Uh, so realize you, you make sure you're using today's prices when you're actually underwriting it. That being said, if you find the right deal and you're really careful about that, you're taking a margin conservatism on your prices, you're taking into account current inflation rates and the current current price of goods and services, but you can find, we see lots of people finding really attractive deals right now um, that they can go buy, renovate, and ultimately make profit on. So that segment, if underwritten carefully with today's reality, uh, could make a lot of sense. If there are 100 deals a year ago, it's probably 40 deals today. But those 40 deals are still pretty good deals. Um, so those deals can be found. You've got to be a lot more selective in that space. Um, I think probably the safest end of the spectrum is you know, finding a rental property um, that's already leased up and you have rented place and immediately putting on a long-term loan on that so you're not taking any risk between the time when you buy the property and when you're financing it. You can find a property that covers and the rent exceeds the interest payment by a reasonable margin. I mean, those, those are great deals. And you can you also get a lot of upside because if you're financing that with today's rate, um, you know, probably historically over time that rate's gonna go down. So you probably see a point in the next five to ten years where that rate's gonna be a lot lower than it is now. So you can refinance it out, which gives you a lot of upside opportunity for that. The second thing is on your rental properties, you're you're the winner from inflation. Um, you know, just like every, everyone else is a loser. I mean, you're the landlord, so you're increasing your rents. So if you lock in a fixed financing cost and you're able to increase your rents by five, 10% a year, you know, that generates a pretty attractive return for you as a landlord. So I think that asset class, if you're financing it the right way with long-term debt, makes a lot of sense. That's probably my favorite right now. What's your, where would you peg 
a minimum viable debt service. You see in our space some no debt service or sub one debt service uh, products. We my lender or my borrower here? Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's, let's say two very different questions, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean at Lean One Capital, we you know we do not go to sub one. We're uh, you know have been on compared to some in the space, uh, a little more conservative, and I think to the benefit of, definitely to the benefit of us as a firm, and we like to think to the benefit of our clients, like we don't want to take back property ever, based on you know the reality of large numbers. Uh, we take back properties, we do many hundreds of loans a month, and uh, it's you know just a cost of doing business and part of doing business for us, but uh, you know we would be happy with 0% default, and just everybody pays the bills, and everything's great. Uh, so we don't dip into that, uh, you know, what we think is a little risky proposition. So I guess you, you teed it up for lender or operator, and I'll ask you to answer both. <laughs> I'll be difficult. Well, uh, clearly, clearly from the borrower standpoint, I want to find a property that can cash flow and I'm borrowing a level that I'm able to pay my rent and have a reasonable cushion and margin of error on top of that. So I'd like to see a coverage of. You know, one, 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 two. I mean, that's in practice hard to find right now at high leverage levels. Um, but I would personally just take uh, what I would do is I'd put more equity into it. I would borrow less debt and make sure I have that debt able to cover at a reasonable lever level, knowing I always have the opportunity later if rates go down to refinance out that debt. You know, take more cash out later and sort of have that upside opportunity. So that's me personally, but I'm probably a little more conservative. As a lender, same same perspective, I and mean, we 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 really like to see uh, cash flow. We like to see good coverage on the on the deals. Uh, we, our average DSCR is probably in our sorry DSCR loan, a rental rental loan where we're lending to a uh, borrower who has the property rented. And it's a thirty year loan. Um, you know that probably is about a one two one three you know coverage ratio historically. It's hard to find those deals now because rates have gone up so much. But we like that we like being that in the spectrum and having some reasonable coverage level. Um, if it's lower than 1.0, we've done those deals in the past. We want to see a materially lower LTV uh, on those loans, not a little bit, like 10, 15 points lower mm -hmm. to compensate for the fact you don't have coverage. Plus, you want to see a lot of liquidity from the borrower. Maybe they have an employment, uh, good employment income, maybe they have a lot of money in the bank. So they, there's actually a source for covering that, that shortfall on that property. Um, but we, we try to avoid those, and that's a pretty small portion of what we've done historically. Yeah, fair, fair. Uh, each of, I always learn something when I chat with you. I, I truly mean that. Um, you, you're somebody who, you know, when I first got into the space in 2015, started going to conferences, started seeing you around, uh, and you, uh, John Hornick, uh, other folks in the space, uh, Tash, uh, have been incredibly, uh, I think, kind, generous, impactful to me. And I've tried to soak up every nugget, every morsel I can. So I, uh, it's, you know, we get to see each other, but not often enough. And I, I really appreciate you coming to do this podcast, but uh, just being a good human uh, and being someone who, uh, you know, has been there throughout the years and appreciate you. It's great. Well, thank you. It's, it's great to see young people like you come in the industry. Uh, have a ton of success yourself and sort of grow up pretty uh, pretty quickly and have a lot of advancement yourself. So congratulations on your personal success and success of Lima One. Uh, you've definitely done uh, doing yourself right. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, John. And we'll, uh, we'll get you back in here next time you're in Greenville. <laughs> awesome. Thanks a lot. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye.